All right. <clears throat> well, so so great when uh, I'm going through a passage, I think of a song. I'm so inspired by the words. I, I could actually quote it in the, in the sermon I'm going to preach. And then I asked uh, Kyle this morning, he comes upstairs to get a key to the, to the room to get the music. He says, I said, by chance, are you going to sing uh, for all the saints? He said, yeah, actually, we are right before the sermon. See, I love that song, and uh, I think you'll get a little more joy out of that song um, after we look at 2 Timothy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together, Lord, in a safe place to, to open up your word, and Lord, to use it as a mirror, to allow the Holy Spirit to come and do work upon our heart, to change us to be people who are more like you, Lord, glorifying you. Lord, I pray that nothing I speak today, God, would be um, anything that you would not want this, com this community of believers to, to hear. We thank you for this opportunity to sit under your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if this sermon's convicting, uh, I gotta tell you, it was, it was pretty amazingly convicting to me too. Uh, and it's all Tim Taylor's fault. He's going to come to the second service. I'm going to say it there too, but it's his fault. He, he got up on Sunday and gave a testimony at the river about how he wanted to raise his son up to be a soldier of the cross. I thought, that is such a true thing. Man, soldiers of the cross. We ought to be soldiers of the cross, soldiers of Christ. So I think I'll preach a sermon like that. So I looked into 2 Timothy Chapter two, which is where we're going to be, pre I'll be preaching today. And uh, I mean, I got to tell you, it was, it was pretty convicting. Um, and I think you'll see why. Paul is, this is Paul's last letter, uh, his last epistle in the New Testament. He's in chains and he's writing his beloved Timothy, his disciples, young disciple. Timothy has been raised up in the truth from his mother and his grandmother. And Paul recounts, first of all, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, how thankful he is for Timothy's testimony of faith. Timothy's conflicted, it seems. We can, we can infer that from the passage um, because he says he remembers his tears. He encourages Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel or of, of Paul, even though Paul's in chains, he's in chains because of the, the gospel. Paul is not ashamed of being in chains because of the one whom he's serving. There's a lot of rich verses just in this very first chapter that would, that would take a long time to preach through. But I want to give a little bit of context because it's important to know where Paul is and it's important to know where Timothy is because it's a little confusing by the time we get to the end of it He says, follow in the pattern that I've lived out in front of you. He says, other people, all, everyone in Asia has abandoned me. He sent others out to go do ministry elsewhere. And he exonerates Anisiphorus for refreshing him, to come, for coming and finding him in Rome and in chains and to minister to him. And then he has things to say to Timothy after that. 
You then, my child. Here's what I have to say to you, Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that may, imagine you're doing ministry. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you're doing ministry. I'm not talking about just pastors. But you're ministering in your realm of influence and you get a letter, you're, you're sort of overwhelmed with ministry. You're getting discouraged with the people that just don't seem to get it or um, the hardship or the difficulty that just keeps coming in front of you or the threat that may be coming down the line and then you get a letter from a pastor in Iran from prison telling you to keep your head up, right? At first, you'd maybe think that was a little discouraging, but Paul's not doing that to make Timothy feel guilty. Hey, buddy, you know, I'm in chains here. What are you worried about? No, that, that's not his attitude. Paul understands that to live the Christian life properly, you have to be strengthened by God. The reason we fail and the reason we have, we have fear, the reason that we are hindered from doing what the Lord desires us to do is not so much that we're not strong enough. It's that we're weak and we think we're strong. We're weak and we think that we have the strength to do what God has us to do. And that's not actually the case. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I mention this a lot because it's one of my favorite monumental points in my own life. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he prays for the Lord to remove a thorn in the flesh that had been given to him so that he wasn't conceited. He begged the Lord three times to remove it. And Jesus responds, my grace is sufficient for you. I show, I, I perfect my strength in your weakness. I perfect my strength in your weakness. Or my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now when I'm at home and my wife, you know, I think if you're a husband, this happens every once in a while, right? Where your wife can't open a lid, right? She doesn't say, hey, put your hand over my hand and help me turn this lid. What does she do? She says, open this, right? She relinquishes the lid to you so that you can open the lid and give it back to her. This, if we're discouraged, if we're overwhelmed with the, with the demands in our life that God has us, we feel overwhelmed, if we feel burned out, we need to hand our will over to the Lord like a pickle jar and say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm using my own strength. I don't have enough strength for this. I'm just gonna give it all to you. I'm not asking for a boost. I'm not asking for a supplemental strength. I'm asking for all of your strength. That's the kind of strength that Paul is, is telling Timothy to be strengthened by. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You be strengthened with that kind of grace, with that kind of grace. If you miss that very important thing, the rest of what I'm going to say to you, if you miss that very important detail, which is that your strength must be 100% from God, then the rest of what I have to say today will just discourage you. It'll make it worse. It'll be like, oh, I can't do any of this stuff. What is he talking about, right? You have to remember that the strength that we have comes from the Lord. If you don't utilize the strength of the Lord, you can't do any of this. And the first thing that Paul encourages Timothy to do, because Timothy's encouraged, 
I'm sorry, <laughs> encouraged. He's being encouraged. He's discouraged. He's overwhelmed. He's got fear. Paul focuses, and this is what good leaders do. They focus people on the main thing, on the main thing. And the first thing he says is, hey, keep discipling. He says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach others also, right? Entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Discipleship. Discipleship is the lifeblood of a church. When discipleship stops happening, the church will cease to exist, will die. If the church is a body of Christ, then discipleship is the blood. It's the flow. It's, what, it's how we nourish one another, right? That's how one cell nourishes another cell. We nourish one another, we build each other up into full maturity by discipleship. He says, everything that I've taught you, and it's funny because when Paul talks about the athlete, he talks about the soldier, he talks about the farmer. Notice how he words that. He says, the things that I've taught in the presence of many witnesses, in other words, Timothy, you've been with me when I've taught all this stuff over and over and over and over again. It's not like Paul wrote Galatians and he never said that sort of thing again. Paul was probably like all of us. We seem to say the same thing over and over again, don't we? Over and over again. We have the same sort of strong truths that kind of overflow from our life over and over again. He says, those things that I'm pouring out to you all the time, you need to entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. In this church, we encourage people when they're discipled, right, when they learn things, that you're not just learning things so that pastors can keep pouring into you. The only people doing discipleship in this church are not pastors. Pastors are not the only people discipling people in this church. There's people in the shadows and the background that just keep discipling and discipling, right? And we don't just pour into people truth and then walk away and you're just supposed to like receive it and just get fat on all this truth and then do nothing. The goal is that you, can, you also disciples others after you. This is the program. This is what he's encouraging Timothy to do. Don't stop doing this. Like a soldier, like a farmer, like an athlete, be persistent in this. Be persistent in discipleship. Pouring into people. When Paul wrote to Titus, he tells Titus to teach sound doctrine for the right conduct of men and women. That they are also to teach what is good. To train younger women Older women to train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive. In a healthy church, this is going on all the time. In a healthy church. And this isn't going on perfectly at Lamry Valley Chapel. It's not. Jesus' command was to go out into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things. So the question is, it's funny, when I, was in, when I was in seminary, we actually had this really great class on discipleship. And they don't even offer it, I don't think, anymore, but we got to take it. And the guy said, and this is a seminary class, he said, did you, is anybody, raise your hand if you've ever been personally discipled by anyone in your life. Where somebody sat down with you 
and they taught you one-on-one, right? This is what's going on in scripture. This is how the Bible's built up. This is how it all happens. Or did you just kind of gain it through going to church on Sundays? And most of the people in the seminary classroom had never actually been personally discipled by anyone. That's sad. Right now, if this church is a healthy church and you are engaged in this church, you and I ought to be involved in this life flow, this discipleship. You either ought to be discipling someone or you ought to be being discipled. And if you've been poured into long enough, I hope that you're starting to feel the pressure to say, hey, you know what? I think it's about time. I think you're mature. I think you know enough. I think it's about time you grabbed a hold of somebody and you got busy discipling. That's the challenge. Now, don't forget, this is all under the umbrella of grace, right? You have the power to do this. It's available to you. All you need is to know the knowledge of the truth. If you don't think you know enough, it's time to grab a hold of somebody who does and start saying, hey, can, can we meet up? Hey, I'd like to come to your small group. I'd really like to learn how to be a good teacher. I'd really like to, to gather all this up. I need to be in discipleship. Now, there are probably some here who are thinking, you know what, Sam, that's great for you, but I'm in a position in my life where I'm just, things are hectic. I've got kids, they've got sports, they've got school. I've got this demanding job. I'm trying to do this, that, or the other. I've got this big project. I'm sorry, but I'm just not in a state in my life where I have time for that sort of thing. Maybe a little bit later when I've slowed down or I retire, maybe, then I'll have time to spend time with people, but I really don't have time to do that. Well, that's why Paul says this next thing. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Being involved in the church, being in discipleship, being in the life flow of this church, growing this church up, loving the brethren, going out and sharing the gospel to the world, which evangelism, I believe, is a subcategory of the overall umbrella of discipleship. All these things that we do, it means we have to suffer to do them. If there's two things Christians do, we disciple and we suffer. Maybe you didn't sign up for that. Maybe the Christianity you signed up for was the one with no suffering and the one with no discipleship. That's not Christianity. Sorry, there's no program like that. There might be another church in town that maybe does that and you can try to go find one, but it's not here. It's not here. God is continuing growing this church. We don't take pride in that. We take pride in our Savior. You can't be too busy for what God has for you in the realm of a soldier-like heart. When I joined the Navy, I didn't really know what to expect. I was only 19. I get on this plane. I go to Chicago. I get out. Already I'm in a whole new world because I walk into this big room and I'm, me and the other guy from Wyoming are the only white people in the room. And that was a weird thing for me. It was weird. I was like, this is so different. Everything's changing. This is all different. I go, I get on a bus. We go to this big room. When we get to the, 
the Great Lakes, Great Lakes Naval Station. And we, we go into this big room. And the first thing we do, we walk in. We hardly have anything. We just have the clothes on our back. We walk in. And if that wasn't enough, all there is in front of you is a box, a Sharpie, and, a, and tape. And they say, when you get in there, they shut the door and say, take off all your clothes, put them in the box, close it, tape it, put your parents' address on it. You get to take nothing with you. Nothing. And that got sent home. <laughs> um, my shoes, everything that was there, my belt, everything. The only thing I could keep was a, was a Bible. And the next thing they do was they took your style because they marched you once you got your clothes into the barber and they shaved your head. So you have nothing. I had nothing. That's what Christianity is like. That's what being a soldier of the cross is like. When Paul was encouraging Timothy, that's exactly what he was alluding to when he says... Um, in verse 8 and 9, therefore do not be ashamed, this is in the first chapter, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a specific plan for your life. I know you hear that a lot on Caleb, and it kind of has this connotation that means like, God has a plan for your life. Aren't you special, right? God's a special plan for your life. You're like, oh, good things for me. And they're kind of, it's like in your head, they kind of inter intermix with your plans. Like you've got plans and God's got plans. And obviously God wants you to have your plans, right? But actually, that's not the case. God had plans for you before the world began and the plans he has for you, like a soldier, are plans that you need to be willing to relinquish everything in your life in order to complete. That's what being a soldier is. You see, you don't, you don't entangle yourself in civilian affairs. Why? Because you're, you're looking to please the one who enlisted you. Later on, when I went to, to my submarine school, we had to, it was sort of like a, you, had, you got out of boot camp, so you weren't quite free. You had to live in these barracks, and they came and inspected your room. And I got put in this room with these guys that were, I mean, they were the example of the, the, the perfect squared away sailor. These two guys. Their, their uniforms were already pressed, always pressed. Hanging up pressed. It wasn't like they... I remember before they, they went to school, they were always ready to go. The floor was like, I walk in, the floor was like, I could see the ceiling. It was like perfectly, perfectly shiny. Their beds were made perfectly. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't believe how squared away they were. It was amazing. And so I was just trying to keep up. Well, sooner or later, because people were relaxing after boot camp, the barracks started to get a little stinky. Guys weren't cleaning their room. But, but our room was like top notch. A night before, we're told that there's going to be inspection. So there's all these guys that are just scrambling on the barracks, and they're trying, to, they're trying to get everything cleaned up. And sure enough, the next day, they have everybody stand outside their room at attention. And we're, you know, we're all in trouble. This master chief is screaming at people. You can hear screaming and gnashing of teeth coming down the hallway toward us. We're at the very end of the hallway. Ah, you, know, you could hear things are getting crashed on the ground, thrown everywhere. And we stood there. 
and we saw that mean old man swish by us, go into our room, and all of a sudden there was just perfect silence. Perfect silence. And we stood there and we started to smile because we realized he's not going to find anything. He really, 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 really wants to. Finally, he comes out and he orders everybody on the whole floor to come walk through our room to show him what a room ought to look like. But we knew that before he even showed up. We were looking forward to him inspecting our room. We were looking forward to that. Think about that. One day, we are going to stand before the king of glory. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that inspection? Because that wasn't convicting for me. That was the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks when I was studying this. How much of my life, even my Christian deeds, I do for men. I do to feel better about myself. I'm not doing it willing and ready for the Lord to come and inspect it. That's what's so precious about that song we sang before this sermon. I'm going to say those words again, the last two verses. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon, soon to faithful warriors comes their rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. But lo, there breaks one glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory passes on his way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you looking forward to that? Or are you like all those other sailors that when the moment came, they were scrambling, but it was too late. They hadn't lived their life in accordance to the standard. And therefore, there was no reward. There was no praise. We want to be the kind of soldiers that live our life in such a way that we want to please the King of Kings, our commander, the Lord of Lords. That's Christianity. Paul's telling Timothy, that's the kind of life you need to live. You need to be a soldier. You need to be willing to suffer. Abandon those silly, trivial things in your life and come and suffer with the saints. Come and take part in the discipleship of this church. Stop wasting your life. He's reminding him. That's the heart of a soldier who wants to please the Lord. He goes on to an example that Paul really enjoys, which is about the athlete. Paul talks a lot about athletes. I think he enjoyed that. A lot of us enjoy that. A lot of us enjoying the Olympics right now. It's a lot of fun watching people stand on that podium, isn't it? Especially if they're Americans. Hear the national anthem. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned. And not crowned, because that's the goal of an athlete. An Olympic athlete will train eight hours a day for four years for an opportunity to compete against the world with the hope, the very slim chance hope, that they will be able to step up on a podium for just a few minutes of recognition that they're the best. The crown, to be crowned, to enjoy that. Their whole life is focused on that. But it doesn't matter how great the athlete Rules are there to level the playing field. If you break the rules, 
you're out of there. It doesn't matter how hard you're trained, how talented of an athlete you are. If you're Michael Phelps and you jump into that water a little bit too early, it doesn't matter how much you train, they're not going to let you get back on the blocks and have another try. Disqualified. Surely Timothy's remembering what Paul taught and wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. For I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. You might be an amazing orator. Maybe you can get up and you can really deliver a speech. And you think, I can really do that. But if you get up and you preach a sermon that's very moving and very true, and then you walk away and you do the things that you preached against, your reward is gone. If you serve the church, if you lead in the church, if you teach in the church, even in the Sunday school, and you strive and you strive and you walk away and you do things contrary to that, you sin, you're disqualified. You lose your reward. But if I know real athletes, one false start doesn't mean they're going to quit. And fortunately, we are running against each other. And if I know anything about all of you, you're like me. You've fallen before. You've lost some reward, and so have I. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he's going to get up every time. Paul said in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We don't quit. We press on, we strive on. Think about this. Now, none of us, most of us, were not born with the type of physical abilities to be able to be an Olympic athlete, to be an Olympian. If we weren't born with the the physical ability to do it, we were also not really put in a situation in life where we were, had much opportunity for it. A lot of those athletes have a lot of money or they, they were raised with parents who from the very, very, very little, before the kid even had a will of their own, were pouring that sport into them so that one day they could be a champion. Most of us weren't given that. But imagine this. Imagine you wake up one morning, right? Guys, it's mostly for guys. If girls woke up like this, they'd be horrified. But you woke up and you're seven feet tall and you're 280 pounds, right? Women would be like, no thanks, right? But you're solid muscle. Like you're a guy, you go to the gym. You're like, wow, this is really crazy. I don't know what happened to me, but I'm just monstrous. I'm gonna go check this, try this body out. So you go to, this, you go to the gym, you're gonna see what this bod can do. So you lay down on the, on the bench press and you just put 225 on, two, 245s. And it just feels like you're doing nothing, right? Like, yeah. Put 315 on it. It feels like after about 25 reps, you're like, man, I just feel like I'm getting warmed up here. And all of a sudden you realize, well, I've got the potential to be an Olympic lifter. You woke up like that. That'd be a great gift, wouldn't it? 
It'd be a great gift. It'd be amazing. Don't be intimidated by the competition when you have the strength of God. You see? You have the strength of God to compete in a way that no one else can compete. The world, they have religion. You have Christ. You have such power. You have that available to you. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Be strengthened by his grace. Yes, you are unable, but he is able. With man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You don't need to be intimidated. You have everything that you need to win in this Christian life, to be a champion, to be valiant. You have the strength. You lack the faith. This is why we open up the word. This is why we ask the Lord to give us strength, even the strength to believe we need. Lastly, he, he says the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. He gives an example of a farmer. Now, in these days, a farmer can actually get a lot planted. Uh, depending on the equipment, I think a farmer can plant at least about 15 acres an hour, which is really moving. We've got some really great equipment. And the thing about farmers is just because they have the equipment doesn't mean they necessarily work less. They just get more done, right? But if you were a farmer in, in the day and age in which this was written, I'm not even sure what kind of equipment you had. I'm imagining maybe you have a one blade. You maybe have some animal to pull that. And you've got a reaper or maybe you're the one casting the seed behind the plow. I think that a work ethic comes really comes extremely important in that time. Because the more you go, the more that plow goes on and you're, you're tired and your back hurts. But you know that the, the, the more steps you take and the more seed you're able to throw out there, the more you're going to enjoy. The more bountiful the harvest. And so this has to do with the type of Christian life that is diligent, that doesn't quit, that continues to press forward, knowing that you're going to enjoy the fruit of that ministry. Now, I've, I've not been in ministry, in full-time ministry, very long, but I've been in ministry, I would say, my whole life. I, well, any, any time, the moment I, I received Christ as my Savior. And I think the longer you're a Christian, the, the longer you pour into people and you enjoy ministry, the more work you put into it, you begin to see fruit in ministry. And it is amazingly, amazingly wonderful. It's an amazing feeling to enjoy seeing people not only come to Christ, but grow in the Lord. I've seen, I've seen men give their heart to the Lord right in front of me. I've gotten to disciple them. And then I've seen them get married. And now I see them raising their kids up in the admonition of the Lord. You know what that does to your heart? That's why poor Clayton can hardly compose himself when he's up here with all these graduates because he pours into these people for a year. And then he gets to hear the fruit of what God has done in their life. The farmer has no control over that seed growing. He just throws it in the ground. He trusts the Lord for the rain and he watches what God does. That's what a farmer does. As hard as we can work is just in planting the word of God into people. 
spending the time, suffering along with them. That's all we can do. We can't make them grow. But when you see God do that, you're witnessing something only God can do, and that will move you. And the more you put in, the more you get to enjoy. As a Christian, like a farmer, you enjoy the produce of God's spirit. You enjoy that. It's not a competition when it comes to discipleship. That's, a, that's like the hardworking farmer. That's something that you enjoy to do because even though it's hard now, you can enjoy the fruit of that. You can enjoy it. It's not fruitless. It's not vanity. This is the only strife in life that you can guarantee you're going to have a return on. And, and I thought about this for, for our ladies too. In, in Proverbs 31, this is a great passage. And starting in verse 25, it says about this Proverbs 31 woman, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done exceedingly well, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Moms, you're working hard. I know you are. My wife works very hard. And it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you get frustrated. I know it feels like you're just plowing concrete with your kids sometimes and they don't ever seem to learn. They just keep doing the same things over and over again. One day, if you're diligent, then you're going to receive that fruit. They're going to rise up and they're going to say, thank you, mom, for all you did for me. You never gave up. You never stopped praying. And they'll honor you for that. That's the kind of fruit that God has. And it's the kind that you'll, once you receive it, you never really even remember how hard it was. That's how amazing it was. That's how amazing the fruit of the Lord is and how wonderful it is. And then lastly, he beckons Timothy to think over this. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over this stuff. We got challenged in James to use the word of God like a mirror. Think over these things. Compare how much energy you use, right, to live your life and, and what that's accomplishing thus far. I know if you're like me, you look at your performance and you're like the athlete <laughs> that nobody really knows why you're there, right? You're like that guy who just doesn't have any not an athletic bone in his body, but he just keeps going out for track and getting smoked by everybody, okay? I mean, that's how you feel about your Christian walk. And you're wondering why everybody else seems to just be breezing along with their Christianity. Well, it's time to relinquish your strength. Think about that. Think about what that's gonna take for you to just give up. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm weak, you're strong. Take the pickle jar, right? I can't do it. Think over these things. 
think over them. And this, this idea of discipleship, really, how often are you in discipleship? Are you taking the things that you've learned from God's word and seeing what God's word and truth has done as, as they've influenced your life and your walk and you've seen God change you and move you? Are you pouring that into somebody else? If you're clueless when it comes to anything in the scripture, are you allowing yourself to be willing to be filled with truth? Like a good soldier, are you suffering along with us or are you too busy for that? Are your hobbies way up here on the priority list? Are the things of the world a little too comforting and appealing to you than suffering along as a good soldier? Think about it. Consider it. I had to. Are you diligent like a soldier? Are you like an athlete? Do you, are you aware that every step that you take in this Christian life is like a performance? And that the, the life that you live, how we raise our children, how we disciple people, how we spend our free time is being judged. It's being judged by God the umpire. Are you excited for that moment where you can receive your crown? Because we ought to be living our lives out before the Lord. Are you like a diligent farmer? A little bit more, just a little bit more. One more step, one more person, one more verse. Because I know that there's going to be fruit. I don't know, I get the first share. Think over these things. Because this is the word of God. This is what we do here. Like the farmer. Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow with tears will reap with shouts of joy. Let's pray. Lord, you are a great and mighty king, and, and we are so frail. Lord, when we consider all that we've got to do, all that's ahead of us, how much we fall short when it comes to discipleship, Lord, how we're not diligent, how we don't work hard, we don't have our right perspective, we're just swamped and swarmed with all these things in life that distract us. Lord, we look to you for strength. We look to you for perspective. And Lord, we want to change. Lord, this isn't overnight. Lord, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, Lord, these are all examples of people who day in and day out. They don't get to victory, Lord, without suffering. And let you, yet you give all the strength necessary in order to go through these things with joy, to plow with a smile on our face, Lord, to run with joy to not faint and Lord, to serve and to suffer knowing that we're, we're pleasing the King of Kings and that's enough. Lord, all this comes from your grace. All this comes from the kind of strength that you give by your spirit. So we first pray for your grace. God, I pray that you would give our church the grace to be obedient. Lord, we could put all Christians in all levels of politics and it wouldn't matter because the church has failed day in and day out, in the jobs where we work, and the families where we raise our kids, that 
oh God, is where we have failed because we have not trusted in your strength. We've trusted in gimmicks. We've trusted in cheap grace. May it be not this way for this church. Lord, I pray you find this church faithful. Lord, we wanna stand in the inspection looking forward to what you have done in this church and the lives of these people. In Jesus' name, amen.